0: All right, welcome to Reflections from WT, the heart and the soul of the Texas Panhandle. My name is Randy Ray. I am the Director of Broadcast Engineering here on the beautiful WT campus. And I'm joined today by, can I call you my co-host? I feel like... I, you, you, you can call me pretty much anything. No, I except, can't because you're my boss. So yeah, well, that's true. You do yeah, need to use
1: a little discretion.
0: <laughs> I don't feel right calling you my co-host. Well, I'm joined today by my big boss, Dr. Walter Windler. So um, today's going to be an interesting podcast, I think. I I'm agree. looking forward to it. We have been doing this um, over two years now. We have primarily always gotten people on the WT campus, but today we have a very special guest. Today, our guest is the very first speaker for the Stan Sigmund Leadership and Innovation Speaker Series, Ralph De La Vega. Ralph, thank you for being here.
2: Pleasure to be here.
0: Ralph, I, I want you to tell your story, but, and, and it's an impressive story. Just start at the very beginning, coming from Cuba.
2: Well, it's a story about sacrifice, uh, a story about inspiration, and how you should never let anybody put limits on what you can achieve. Uh, I was, which raised, is what your grandmother, uh, used which to tell is you. yeah, which is what my grandmother always told me. I uh, I was raised in Cuba, uh, and after the Cuban Revolution, my family lived in a constant state of fear and anxiety. Anything uh, that you did could be deemed to be against the government. So you could be hauled away and put in jail. And um, in addition to that, the communist government that took over Cuba nationalized my father's business, which was a food distribution business. They they basically took all the assets, and uh, he was out of business. And so uh, my mother feared that young people like me were being influenced in the schools to turn their parents, uh to have their children turn their parents in if they did anything that was against. The revolution. Mm-hmm. So uh, my mother felt like um, I would lose my soul if I stayed in Cuba. It was it was pretty dire. And that's what made her and my dad decide to leave Cuba. When you left Cuba in those days, you had to leave all your material possessions to the government, your, uh, your house, your savings account, your car. Every single material possession was inventoried by the government. It had to be left there. When you left the country, and despite all of that, they made what I thought was a really difficult decision to leave because we had no family in the United States, but we knew it was a beacon of freedom of hope and of opportunity. Mm-hmm. So we went to the airport uh along with my sister Barbara. I was uh, ten at the time, and the militiamen that looked at our exit papers uh said five words uh that changed uh, my life and my family's life forever." And those five words were, only the boy can go. Mm. Only my papers were correct that day. The entire family could stay behind, or they can send me ahead to the United States by myself. I was 10 years old, uh, and we didn't have any family in the United States. So my father frantically called friends and asked them to look after me. These were recent immigrants to the U.S. as well, uh, and that he would soon follow uh, I got on that airplane, and I said goodbye to my parents, and I wouldn't see them again for four years. Wow! So I found myself uh, in a new country, with a new family. I didn't speak a word of English. I didn't have a penny in my pocket, and uh, I tell the story that I didn't even like the food. <laughs> <laughs> the the first food I got in the United States was a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And in Cuba, we always used to have ham and pork in it. And I open it and I go, well, I'm in the greatest country in the world. And Where's the meat? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. what, how, they, the be- put, <laughs> they put no meat in the sandwiches. What is this? So it, it just highlights the difficult uh, transition from language to country to culture to family to even food. But the message in that story is that you can start life over again, Yeah, that the human spirit is incredibly resilient. And that's exactly what we did, and it's no different than millions of other immigrants have done from not only uh the, the Caribbean, but Europe and every other country around the world. And that's why this is such a great country, because a ten year old boy can get to its shores, you know, without his family, without a penny in his pocket, and is speaking to you as a former vice chairman of mm-hmm. ATT. It has to be a great country that allows a young kid like that to succeed.
1: You know, Randy, there are two things about this that are moving to me, almost move me to tears, actually. The first is the power of the family. I've known a number, a pretty good number of Cuban families in New York. Uh, There were many, fairly strong uh, Cuban community in New York where I came from, and also some here in Texas. And uh, the power of the family and the value of the family, it's unquestioned, it's important. And for... Ralph to be separated from his mother and father obviously mm-hmm. hard on a ten-year-old, but for the father, his father and mother to allow that mm-hmm. is uh, is a tremendous, to me, a tremendous uh, statement, a testimony of their love for him and also their confidence in things generally, through probably through their faith. I'm, I'm not I'm not going to project that onto to them, but that's what I would guess, probably through their faith. Uh, that and then the other thing, again, from knowing a number of Cuban families and many of them immigrants from Cuba, the level of uh, patriotism and appreciation for the American dream is marked in many, as, as Ralph just said, many immigrant uh, families. But I think it's especially strong in those that come here under duress and uh, they appreciate the opportunities of freedom and so yeah. on, and willing to work hard,
0: I mean, hard. Well, Ralph, let me ask you that. Do you think that you, and this may be a strange question, do you think you have a deeper love for our country than some people that were even born here? And, and because you came from another one, you came here, you, got the, you saw both sides of the story.
2: I have the experience of what it's like to live under communism. Mm-hmm. and it is not good so i am a fervent believer in this great country of ours and specifically the, the the freedoms that we have and the entrepreneurial spirit of the people who created this country it is that entrepreneurial spirit that is missing from cuba today because in cuba everything is controlled and controlled very tightly uh, by the government but dr wendley to to your point about my parents it is their sacrifice that made m- me being successful here. It, it was their sacrifice of their future so that myself and my sister could have a brighter one. Yeah. And so it was so hard on my mom that I always cook the family turkey on Thanksgiving. The family gets together, I carve it. And this last time uh, mom came and I thought she was coming to get a piece of the turkey <laughs> as I was carving it. But what she said was, did I do the right thing? I said, Mom, what are you talking about? I said, did I do the right thing in sending you along? I said, Mom, I think I turned out okay. I
0: think you turned out okay. So, <laughs> Talking about turning out okay, you ended up being the, well, you were an executive at AT&T, the vice chairman and CEO of business solutions and internet. You, your, your resume is one of the most impressive resumes I've ever seen. Tell me about your educational background after you got, the United States, so that you could become those impressive things.
2: Well, you know, it's an interesting story. Um, I, I almost didn't get uh, an education at all. I uh, I went to see my high school counselor after my parents arrived four years later, and of course, they had no financial capability, and I was still, uh, you know, a novice at English. So they uh, the counselor looked at my records and said. Uh, Ralph, I know you want to be an engineer, but uh, son, you have to be a mechanic. You should turn to be a mechanic so you're not a burden to your family. And I think that that advice caused me to actually leave uh, high school, regular high school, and actually go to trade school. And it really was going to impact my life in a very significant way had I stayed that course. I was intercepted by my grandmother who came from Cuba was a school teacher a mother to seven children and when i told her that i wanted to be an engineer but was studying to be a mechanic it was she gave me some rough feedback <laughs> let's call it that but then the next thing she said is that ralph don't don't let anybody put limitations on what you can achieve if you want to be an engineer you can be an engineer and i i stopped in my tracks i had a lot of respect for my grandmother i know she was right, so I, I quit school, the trade school, went back to high school, and then got my, uh, my engineering degree. But I got my engineering degree by first going to what Dr. Wendell recommends for many of his students. I went to a two-year college because mm-hmm. I couldn't afford to get into a four-year school. And that two-year college uh, allowed me to get a degree in pre-engineering. And once I got a degree in pre-engineering, I could become a draftsman for the Tampa Bay Engineering Company. So I, I, I got into engineering, and then I paid my own way, including some loans, to get my four-year degree at uh, Florida Atlantic University. So it is the classic case where you had to work your way up in the education field and to keep learning, because then I got my MBA, and I went on to do other things. So to me, education changed my life. And mm-hmm. the message uh, to your students and to your audience is, it, it really doesn't matter uh, the size of the school. What matters is how much you put into it. And I'm convinced after spending a couple of days here at West Texas that this is a great school and it's a great place to get a great education. And once you get a great education, what my grandmother told me sticks in. You will not have any limitations imposed of you.
0: Dr. Wonder, don't you think that WT has that same spirit?
2: about
1: it. Yeah, I think it I think it does and I appreci- appreciate Ralph uh, mentioning this because I keep reminding people to be careful of getting in too much debt and and I we went to I went to a community college too. He studied uh, pre-engineering, I studied pre-architecture. Mm-hmm. I had a counselor that essentially said the same thing to me. I won't tell you the whole story, but it was my first cousin, Elaine Spizzato. she told me, "You don't you don't need to go to college. Be a, be a carpenter like your uncle Artie." Mm-hmm. And I was already a carpenter's apprentice in high school. But anyway, I, I couldn't concur more. And the value of starting at a community college and uh, finishing the associate's degree, which I'll bet you did. Yes. I know it, Ralph. I know you did. I can tell by talking to you, you would have finished that and then move on to the senior institution. And I've saved a lot of money and been able to work along the way. They're, they're just, I tell the students all the time, don't don't pay attention to what you see on the, Facebook or uh, YouTube or uh, uh, Rumble or any of those other, Snapchat, any of that stuff, TikTok. Make a plan for yourself. Make a plan for one that works for you. Talk to mm-hmm. people you love, people that you can respect, just like Ralph's grandmother. Mm-hmm. respected He respected her. She respected him. And that's that's what happens. And uh, we forget that. You know, we so worry about where somebody graduated from, what kind of a college it was, and so on and so forth. Get the cognitive insights and skills, get empowered, and get out there and do something. I just think that is, it it goes beyond words to say how powerful it is.
2: Dr. Wendell, the best story to describe this is uh, what happened uh, to the students of my grandmother who was a teacher. They left Cuba without any material possessions, but they did leave with the knowledge that my grandmother gave them. That's in their head. And once Mm -hmm. you get a great education, nobody can take it away from you, not even a communist regime. (laughs) And with that education, they were able to start their lives over in a new country and succeed in almost every single case. So it really highlights the importance of getting the best education you can get. It doesn't matter where you get it. It matters that you really exert your own influence to learn as much as
1: you can. Yeah, I would agree. And the power of good teachers, mentors, and so Absolutely. on. Very, very critical. And by the way, I think many of our listeners, uh, Randy, would know this, but Stan uh, Sigmund, who is the namesake of this, this uh, event, uh, lecture series, and so on, he's a WT graduate. He went a long, long way on his, and I would say it was a combination of a few things, family life, the education that he got here at WT, but also- West Texas values. He had a value system that said he should have high integrity, he should work hard, he shouldn't expect to be rewarded when he didn't do a good job. These kinds of values he appreciated his family. I could go on and on. I could list 10 or 12. But the bottom line is Stan knew those values were important. I didn't know him nearly as well as Ralph or others, but in the five years that I was here and did have acquaintanceship with him, I, I learned a lot from him in a very short period of time. And he got it from West Texas A&M and never forgot that. Exactly. I and,
2: and Dr. Wendler, I, I like uh, your, your slogan of from the panhandle to the world because Stan Sigmund came from the panhandle and the company that he formed and the leaders that he grew Took that message that you just stated and spread it throughout the world.
1: I can assure you of that. How many countries did you do business in? Two hundred. Wow. As from the pan that's that may be the ultimate expression of from the panhandle to the world.
0: Well, Ralph, how did how did you how did you meet Stan?
2: I uh came uh to Singular Wireless uh from uh being the the president of uh Bell South Latin America and had not met Stan until he had an opening uh, as his chief operating officer. I never met Stan. But the minute that I interviewed him, I liked him, and he liked me. Mm. And like I I said in some of the meetings today, outwardly we may look like different people, but inwardly Mm. we're very, very similar. And we hit it off. His values are my values. And uh, we just put a great team of people. I I think if you look back at the legacy uh, that Stan Sigmund left it was not just the performance of the company, but the people that made that company and continue uh, to keep it alive and keep it successful.
0: I will tell you how I first met Stan. We had, When we were building this building in 2006, we were looking for people to underwrite one of our studios. And Stan was one of the first ones to step up to the plate and said, we would like at t to help name, one of your new studios. So we t- today we have our AT&T production studio, and I think about Stan, and I think about his values and principles every time I walk by and I see that sign on the on the studio.
2: And it is a high, high class uh, act. I mean, I, I saw it today, and it's what an impressive. I know that Stan and everybody at AT&T would be proud right. that their name is displayed. I was honored out there. to
0: show it to you. Thank you. I'm proud of that room.
1: And, and by the way, this is something that I picked up from Stan. He really liked applications-driven education, education towards the purpose of getting something done, of doing work and so on. And uh, we see that around the campus, but it's especially here in the broadcast aspect of what goes on here in the Sybil B. Harrington uh, College of Fine Arts and Humanities This unit really is a hands-on approach and gets people ready to enter the uh, industry with very valuable skills. I've hired somebody that's a graduate of this program, worked in one of the local uh, affiliates. Uh, She was a news producer and a weekend host and so on and so forth. She works for me now. And I will tell you, it's uh, it's amazing, the insight and energy and pragmatism that she brings to the task.
2: Well,
0: and I think a lot of that comes from those values and principles we share from Stan. Yeah. Ralph, let me ask you this. What advice would you have for a student that's contemplating college?
2: I would say uh, do everything possible to go to college and get the best education you can. Once you get a great education, nobody can take it away from you. And it will help you uh, in your career and in your life. It will open doors that otherwise would have been closed. But not just get an education by going to a two or four year school, but to continue learning your whole life. Because even if you go to a school today, whether it's two, three, four years, uh, the information and the knowledge you have becomes stale and in some cases obsolete. So you need to continue learning is get a great education and then continue learning your whole life. If you do that, you'll be very successful.
1: The old adage, you can, uh, you can give a man a fish and he has a meal, but if mm-hmm. you teach a man a fish, you can feed him mm-hmm. for a lifetime. And I think it's the same thing about learning. We forget that. Uh, we, forget that. Yeah, we forget Yeah, we forget it. It's a process. It never stops.
2: Dr. Wendler, I love that quote. Uh, in fact, I like to modify it a little bit. And I, I say, if you teach a man or a woman about entrepreneurship, uh, they can not only build a place that will... Uh, be successful and then they can eat fish or chicken or meat the rest of their life.
1: <laughs> they don't they don't have to have peanut butter they, and jelly. They, they, they don't have to have <laughs> peanut butter
2: and jelly or only fish. <laughs> right. That's All right,
0: you guys ready for my curveball? Got a curveball? Okay. This one's not too tough. Ralph, we'll start with you. What celebrity would you like to have dinner with?
2: Oh my gosh, what celebrity would I love to have dinner? Yeah. I don't know. That's uh that's a really good question. I I think probably if I had to to pick one it may be Warren Buffett. Uh I think Warren Buffett is an amazing individual uh comes out of the Midwest, has some very very good financial uh, acumen and I think his advice would be invaluable just to mm-hmm. learn from the man who has done so much uh and, and done it in a very very good way.
0: Yeah. Warm up. That's a good answer, Doctor Windler.
1: Gosh, that's a tough one. Um, That is that is a curveball, Randy. What celebrity? That one ready to go? No, you know it's interesting. It's a hard one for me. I I would. uh, I actually would like to have dinner with uh, Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas. Who you've met before? Just briefly. But I, I would like to sit and talk with him. Uh, he is in a tough spot in so many ways. You yeah. know, there's so many contemporary challenges for some reason. And he, maybe he's not a celebrity. He's an elected official. Yeah. But, but, but like Warren Buffett, he does a job every day. And, uh, you know, how they do that and how they navigate these constantly uh, changing uh, waters that they have to navigate, it's not easy. And I, I'd just like to talk to him about it. See what yeah. he thinks and how he thinks about issues and challenges and so on would be very interesting to me.
2: By the way, both those individuals are very authentic in what they do. There's there's no mistaking where they come from, where they've been, and what their values are. You
1: know, right?
0: Ralph, I think it's interesting that you said that, because that's the number one value in principle that Stan Sigmund appreciated was authenticity.
2: Yeah. you know, And I, he was a
0: very authentic, authentic guy.
2: Not only was he authentic, uh, he enabled you to be your authentic self. Yeah. And it, it's it, it seems simple when you say it, but... I know many people who were afraid to talk about their backgrounds. Would it help them in the company or not? Maybe they shouldn't be talking about it. Once Dan talked about his background, it opened the door for me to talk about my background and for me to share my story and for others to do the same thing. And then you realize almost everybody has a book inside them. Mm -hmm. Everybody has a great story. Everybody, especially if you've gotten a, a great education and you've been successful should be a role model for young people to follow uh, because it's so important to give young people encouragement like my grandmother gave me. It, it just took minutes for me to get completely turned around. And I think young people today deserve uh, those kinds of advice uh, and encouragement.
0: Yeah. You said everyone has a book in them. You certainly had a great one in you. And uh, I want to tell everyone about obstacles welcome, turn adversity to advantage in business and in life. And that's published by Thomas Nelson. So I would encourage everyone to go out and get a copy of that. I'm just starting it, but I, it's already really intriguing. So I appreciate you taking time to write that important book.
2: You know, I, I wrote the book, uh, but interestingly enough, I, I never really went on tour because the purpose of the book was not to make me famous or to any have any financial gain. But working with the AT&T Foundation, uh, we gave away 50,000 copies to uh, kids, uh, to high school and middle, uh, middle school kids, uh, primarily from, uh, underserved communities to give them hope that if I made it, they could make it. And to me, I wrote the book thinking that if I could just change one life, one trajectory, like my mother changed to me, it'd be worth the effort that it took. And it took me two years to write it on weekends, uh, while I had a full-time job. So, uh, I think I tried to do the best to inspire people. To achieve greatness, and that is what I'm here because we're here to celebrate the greatness of uh, Stan Sigmund, the greatness that exists in this region, and the greatness uh, that was sh- was was helped uh, to provide that seat of greatness. This institution helped to provide the seat of greatness in Stan Sigmund, and that is why we're here.
1: There is greatness here
2: in West Texas.
1: I'll tell you what we should do, and I shouldn't say this on the air, but I'm going to. Johnny can always cut it out if he wants to. But uh, we should we should use this as a freshman reader. All of our freshman class read uh, something in common, and then bring a speaker in. It'd be interesting to uh, bring Ralph back to talk, to, 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 you know, and to give a talk, uh, campus be, talk. I'd be sometime. glad to do it. You know,
2: I I get so many uh, compliments sometimes, but the interesting thing is. A lot of parents buy the book to give it to their children. Yeah. To help them explain how obstacles are only uh, opportunities in disguise and right. that you should never let yourself become a victim of this situation and the adversities that life presents us and will always continue to present us.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, those are some very wise words and some good thoughts for all of us to remember. Ralph, thank you for joining us. Dr. Wendler, thank you for being here again. And thank you for joining us. This time, for Reflections from WT, the heart and soul of Texas Panhandle. We'll see you next time.